God, we do thank you for this morning uh, that you have given us hope in your son, Jesus. Today we come together not only because we claim that hope for ourselves, but because we celebrate the goodness of what we see you doing in and through your people here at Faith Covenant Church and in your church around the world. We ask that you would bless Michael as he brings your word to us this morning, that you would anoint him with your spirit to bring your word to us this morning, and that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear your word to us as that special word that we each need to hear this morning, knowing that we have met with the living God, and because of that, we will be forever changed. Bless our kids as they also hear your good news message through Rise and Shine this morning, and allow us to go from here today prepared and equipped to be Jesus' disciples in your world. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. Hey, guys. Good morning, Faith Covenant. I kind of like it on the floor. Can I stay down here? All right, let's do that because um, very less chance of falling off the stage. Like, see, look at that. that this is my luck right here. Uh, well, guys, my name is Michael Forsberg. Um, I work for World Vision. We are a Christian humanitarian organization dedicated to working with children and families around the world to help solve the root causes of poverty. And I'm really happy to be here today. Um, and like Pastor Kurt mentioned this morning, we have a special partnership with your denomination. We serve communities all around the world in about 100 countries, but your church is focused on the Democratic Republic of Congo. And yesterday and this weekend, about 100 ECC churches are partnering to celebrate on a Hope Sunday or a Global Sponsorship Week or Global 6K, and you are a part of that today. So I want to give you a round of applause in my heart. We'll clap with our hands in just a little bit. Um, But we saw who just participated in the Global 6K for Water yesterday. But if you weren't at the party, I want to just kind of fill everybody in on what happened yesterday. And if you felt like you might have missed out on something, we have something for everybody at the end of the service through sponsorship. But here's what happened yesterday. Yesterday, the world changers that you saw standing up joined in with 33,000 people in the U.S. 33,000 people. And among that, around the entire world, we had 45,000 people. Actually, update, breaking news, it's up to 50,000 now. 50,000 people to do six kilometers because 6K is the average distance that people walk in the developing world that's not safe to drink. You probably know about the clean water crisis, but children and women often have to walk far distances that will uh, bring them to a water source, and that water will often make them sick. And so we want to do something about it. And so people took on that distance of 6K to take that distance away from someone else. So every single person who did the 6K had this really cool bib that they wore. Most people, when they do a race like a 5K or, or a marathon or half marathon, it has just a number. And for us, we know of the 844 million people that lack access to safe water, that these kids aren't a number. Each one of them has a face and a name, and each person that walked or ran yesterday brought clean water to one of these children. And that is really, really incredible. I had Martine yesterday from the Democratic Republic of Congo, 12 years old. And uh, there's something really special about this particular celebration Sunday. uh, If you can imagine 50,000 people doing six kilometers, that is T-Mobile Park right there, filled up. And that park, when the Mariners play, people cheer for home runs, for, for singles, for strikeouts. But I want us, in just a little bit, to cheer for the impact that we made collectively. Here's how this is going to work. I've never done this before, so you're my, you're my first time. I'm going to let you know, I'm going to ask you to do a quick drum roll. And on that drum roll, I'm going to reveal 
the total number of people that got clean water because of our efforts. And when I say that number, I want us to go Seattle 12th man all together. I'm not from Seattle. I'm visiting this weekend. So I, I, I heard about it. I want to see it. I want us all to celebrate. You can stay in your seats. You can, you, can, you can cheer with your hands. You can hoot. You can holler. You can whistle. I don't care what you do. I want this to be the greatest celebration, dancing like David undignified before the Lord, to celebrate clean water because it is worth celebrating. So are you ready for it? I'm going to count down. We're going to do drum roll. I'm going to tell you a number. Is it cool? All right, here we go. Uh, drum roll, please. Together, we help bring clean water to 43,300 people. Yes. Man, when we talk about clean water and the global water crisis, this is what I'm talking about. It is a celebration. There's something happening in the world, and you are a part of it, and we are a part of it together. And I want to say thank you. Thank you on behalf of World Vision for enabling these children and communities to experience something totally different. I want to say thank you on behalf of the children that we serve, from the communities that we serve. It is something really, really powerful. And last month I got to see something that I've never seen before. I've been waiting my whole life to see something like this. I got to see a live on-site drill rig strike water for the first time. And I was in tears. And guess what? When people saw the water strike from the ground, they didn't just sit there and say, that's nice water. They <laughs> celebrated. And we have a video coming up here in just a second, Beth. So, uh, Beth, can you hit that video? Are we ready for it? Let's do it. That is what celebration looks like. When we cheer and celebrate for clean water on this side of the planet, we're joining in families and communities just like that who are cheering and celebrating and praising God. I've never seen people pray and sing and worship Jesus like this ever before until I saw this clean water. Because in Mwala, Kenya, they were waiting for clean water. The drill rigs had actually attempted a few times and come up short. But the water sprang forth and the praise went up to the heavens. And that's what we get to be part of today. Whether you are at the sixth care or now, we get to join in celebration around all the things that God is doing through his people, through his church. And it is amazing. In addition to that, we're celebrating with some orange donuts. So today I believe we have orange donuts. Okay, I got scared. We got some orange donuts so we can celebrate with some orange donuts. And uh, this is a really powerful day. So 
if you are coming here today to hear God's word, you know, this will not be a 25-minute commercial for World Vision. Uh, don't worry, we have some, some Bible for you. So let's, let's get to it. Uh, my hope today is that all of us, all of us would seek the face of God together and that some of us might actually be called to respond in a new way through our call to action at the end. So let's turn the corner. We're going to be spending some time in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open to John chapter 4. We will also have the scripture behind me. And um, you can, please, would you stand with me out of reverence for the word of the Lord? So as we read, I want you to be on the lookout for movements of transformation in this story. This woman has a transformational encounter with Jesus, and I want you to be on the lookout for it. And um, we're going to go through a lot of Bible today, all right? So buckle up, get, get ready, because we're going to read through. I'm going to read fast, and we're going to sit down and, and keep learning about the Word. All right, here, John chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although it was in fact not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, in a, in, in town, in a near Samaria, to a town called Sychar, near a plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, as tired as he was from this journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus asked her, if you knew, he answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it, as did his sons? And his livestock. And Jesus answered, Whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. She, I had no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five. Husbands, and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. Verse 21, woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking to her? But then she left her water jar and went back into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who has done everything that I have ever did. Could he be the Messiah? They came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. We're going to jump to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony of he told me everything I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and they stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Let your word speak in and among us today. Amen. You can be seated. So I want to quickly rehab what happened. That's maybe one of the longer verses you've probably heard in a church in a while. Because I believe in the power of the scripture, and I want us to, to be washed over all that text, and not just snippets of it. But here's my kind of Cliff Notes version of what I saw in the story. Again, this woman, she had a transformational encounter with Jesus that could not be contained. A transformational encounter with Jesus that could not be contained. And I have a photo of a woman um, back here, and we'll just kind of leave it up there. Just kind of imagine what it might have looked like as this story is unfolding. So Jesus is traveling through Samaria, and he gets tired because he's a human. It's noon, and it's hot, so he sits down at the well to get some rest and hopefully some water. But right now, there's also a woman coming to get water, but there's also some cultural tension at the time. There are Jews and Samaritans. There's men and unmarried women, and those two things don't mix at the time. It is like a Montague versus Capulet. You just don't mix the houses. And despite all of that, Jesus talks to her anyway. And as he begins to talk to her, he reveals glimpses of his divinity. He reveals glimpses of who he is in part of this Godhead figure, this Messiah coming. And as he's doing that, the woman is becoming more curious and more intrigued, and she is kind of drawing closer to what he's bringing. Jesus starts to demonstrate his deep understanding of who she is and what she's been through without any condemnation, exclusively insight. And then Jesus starts to answer a question that she asks in a classic Jesus fashion. She starts seeing that he knows something, and she's like, wait, if you're a prophet and you know all these things about me, I want you to settle this question I have. Everybody's been debating. Do we worship on the mountain, or do we worship in Jerusalem? And if you're a prophet, you could probably answer that for me, Jesus. What is it? Is it A or is it B? And then Jesus says, false. He says, I'm going to tell you something that's not what you're asking. He says, I'm going to tell you about true worship in the Father and what's coming, because you're asking all of the wrong questions. And that brings her into a state of curiosity, of, of a state of belief, so much so that she is illuminated. And I wish that the person writing the story would have captured that moment when she asked if he's the Messiah, and he says yes. Because you imagine waiting for the Messiah, and he says, yes, I'm him. What kind of response she would have had in that moment? We don't see that in the story. But what we do see is she is in such a hurry to tell everyone about it that she leaves her water jar. She goes, sprints into town. Some translations say that she ran into town, and she tells everyone, you got to meet this guy. He knows everything about me. And this ushered the people to act. She, they didn't just hear the story about this woman. They, they heard, and they acted, and they asked Jesus to, to, to tell them who he is on a first-person basis. All of this happened because this woman had a transformational encounter with Jesus that could not be contained. She could have had a conversation with Jesus, said, thank you, sir, Appreciate it. Messiah, great. Going back to my water walk. But no, she couldn't contain herself. I love this story. Because we see things about Jesus that, that allow us to be more like him. I see how Jesus overcomes that cultural tension despite a man and an unmarried woman together. He, he invites her into conversation. I love that Jesus, no matter the barrier of, of her sin and her shame and her guilt, when everyone else had likely abandoned her. Because check this, when People gathered water at the time. Often they did it in community. And she was alone. 
which likely means that she went in the middle of the day because her community had abandoned her and kicked her out because of her past with probably these five husbands. But there was no sin and shame that kept Jesus from bringing her in to the story. And the thing that I love most about the story is the woman's faith and the impact of her faith. I think I have it up on the screens, but theologian Warren Carter writes about women characters in the Bible. And I want to read this. He writes this. He says, Consistently, the male disciples are outperformed by a small number of women who often present positive examples, believing or entrusting themselves to Jesus. You know, the ladies are like, obviously. He goes on to write, they witness, they, they witness Jesus' revelation of God's purposes, and they play key roles in accomplishing them. In doing so, they contribute significantly through the characterization of Jesus. So this woman in the well, she, no, she's not in the well, thank God. She's at the well. This woman at the well encounters Jesus, and because of her story, we get to see more of who Jesus is because of her response to him. And, and, and this, this theologian kind of breaks out some examples because the women in the Bible are strong and they're fierce. We see Jesus' character revealed through these ladies. We see Jesus' mother at the wedding of Canaan. When these miracles are happening, his mother is the one that allows us as the reader to see what Jesus is up to. Mary and Martha were significant in the story of raising Lazarus from the dead. And here we see people like Nicodemus, a religious elite who's supposed to know everything about it. And Jesus says, you must be born again in order to inherit the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was like, so like, I got to go back into the womb? I'm like, bro, you're making us guys look bad. But it's the women of the Bible that allow us to see who Jesus is. And this is the thing that breaks my heart. Is in the story, she isn't even given a name. She is called the woman at the well. And when Jesus is addressing her, he is addressing her in this text as woman. And she's so significant because an unnamed woman becomes one of the first evangelists in the history of the Bible. And all because of this zero to 60 faith. And I made a dorky chart. I love charts. I'm a dork, whatever. Um, I have a dorky chart. Here it is. Here's my dorky chart. She starts off at the well seeing Jesus as a stranger. And she moves through this timeline as a valued stranger because after she sees that maybe he's not just a random guy, he, he's talking about things that are curious. And then he moves forward uh, in his conversation and she moves forward in her belief in him seeing that he might be offering something, this thing called living water. What is that? And then when she starts to see that he knows her past, she sees maybe he's a prophet. And then suddenly she asks about, is he the Messiah? He says, yes, I'm the Messiah. And then here's where it gets crazy. She goes into town, and the entire town believes not only that he's the Messiah, but he's the Savior of the world. This one woman's crazy faith, encountering Jesus in a transformational way, allows her to go through this timeline, and an entire town sees Jesus in a totally new way. And isn't that crazy? That one person's status changes how you interact with them. I don't know if there's any doctors in the house, but I've seen doctors talk to other people, like at a gathering or a party. And when people are talking, and they don't know they're a doctor, and they find out that they're a doctor, they're like, oh, I have this one ailment. Can you address me? The status of our understanding with one another changes how we respond. And when this woman's status of going from stranger to prophet and Messiah allowed her to encounter Jesus in a new way. And so my question to you is, on this timeline, where is Jesus for you today? I don't care where he's been in the past or what you're hoping to accomplish in the future. Where is Jesus in your life today? Is he a stranger? Maybe. 
Is he the savior of the world? Are you going into town igniting people? Whatever the case is, what is Jesus' role in your life today? And I want you to ask this question for real. Because I know for me, this, this is a fluid chart. Sometimes I can be on the mountaintop proclaiming Savior of the world, and sometimes I can be in a dry spell. I can be lethargic in my spiritual life. And do you know how convicting that is for someone that has to talk to people about Jesus? It's really hard. But the thing is that Jesus is offering this living water. It's something really, really remarkable. He's offering living water, and that's what enables her to go into town. I just have a couple of living water mess, uh, notes that I want to show you. I have a slide here. Eugene Peterson talks about this living water in the translation. He says that the water I will give will be an artisan spring from within, gushing fountains of endless life. Later on, we see more water imagery in John 7, where, where John writes, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's this message of living water that allows a woman who is afflicted by shame and guilt and getting water by herself to move past that shame and that guilt and ignite an entire community over the Savior of the world. It's this same message, this same text of living water that allows us to hear this message together. And despite whatever history we have, we can be free. Amen? You are free today. I am free today. I'm a, I'm a, I went to North Park, but I have a bad past. It does not matter. But I can stand in front of you today free of my shame and sin and affliction because of this living water. And so I have two responses for us today. Response number one is, will you sit at the well? You can do it here in your heart today. You can do it after service. You can do it on your drive home looking at this beautiful mountain. But will you figure out where you sit on that stranger to Messiah timeline. Despite your doubts or beliefs or your faith or whatever, just sit. Just sit at the well. Open up John 4. Read the story again and see what Jesus might do through you in your heart. And that's all. That's enough. We don't have to be the person going into town, converting an entire population. All I ask is that we respond at some point this week, probably today, because life gets busy, that you can just sit. And that's enough. You're enough. The second response is to bring living water and clean water to children in the Democratic Republic of Congo. See, again, the story that, that, that moves me in such a way is that this name of this woman is not even mentioned. But we know that every single child has a name. Every kid that we serve has a future, and you can help that child's future look totally different by addressing them as a person through child sponsorship. Now, in just a little minute, I have a quick video that I want to show you that talks about how sponsorship works and the importance of a name. But before that, um, today there are these little cards all around you. I just want you to pick that up if you have one near you. It looks like this. It's orange on one side and it has a field on the other. And as we play this video, I, I just want you to put your finger or your thumb or a pen where it says first name. I'm willing to bet that every single one of us has written our name on forms and fields thousands and thousands of times. It's mundane. We write our names every day. But today, I want you to think about the fact that when you write your name here, some other child with a name will see that name. 
and enter in a totally new relationship with you. And then you can take this card to this back table back there and explore what it looks like to introduce your name to another child's name through child sponsorship. So I'm going to come back up in a little bit after this video, but can we show this video real quick? Thanks. When I first saw her name, it was on her world vision. And we get to invite people into all of these transformational things around the world. And one of the most important stories that we tell is a story of need. A story of need. Stories like how 84% of the Gamana population in the Democratic Republic of Congo don't have access to safe water. Stories of a thousand children that are still waiting in DRC for a sponsor. Stories of malnutrition, disease, and waterborne illnesses that continue to threaten the lives of children every single day. And that is oftentimes where we can respond. It's looking at the need. And as I'm closing out today, I want to tell you the flip side of that story because God made me to be a raging, hopeful optimist and an enthusiast. And I want you to see what I see as an employee of World Vision. I get to go to the field and visit these children. And sometimes they look really sad on these photos. It's the reality of the situation because they are in need. But I want to talk about the potential of celebration of what happens when children get sponsored. I've seen it happen when children receive news that they are getting sponsored. You know what these kids do? They celebrate. They smile. They praise God. Their families are praying. It is a joyful day, not a somber day. And as you saw from Ashley's video, funds and sponsorship help things like supporting local churches and church programming, healthcare systems, education, clean water projects, protection from exploitation. So many things happen through sponsorship. But you get to step into a relationship with a child. For 40 bucks a month, you said 39, but the DRC is a little bit harder context, so it's 40 bucks. Whether you did a 6K or not, every single person is here is invited to celebrate. Because when a child finds out, I want you to imagine as you leave this place today, I want every single person, whether you sponsor a child or not, to walk by that table and look at one child, look at their name and look at their face. And I want you to imagine this. Imagine that child sitting at home. And imagine the World Vision Democratic Republic of Congo staff getting the notification that you became a sponsor. And then they take your name and they hop on a motorbike and they cruise to the dirt roads. They're cruising through the dirt roads. They go to a hut, probably a mud hut. They knock on the door and they let this family know they're a new sponsor. And they read them your name. Can you imagine the response? Just like we see in the, the video of people cheering. Right now they look sad. I, I, will not, I will not lie. But can you imagine the smiles on these kids' faces when they find out that you became their sponsor? They're so cute and young. You know some of them are missing some front teeth too. So they're going to smile wide and have missing teeth because they're little kids, cute as heck. But I want to ask you, will you make that moment happen? Will you make that celebration happen? And will you change the future for a child in your community in the Democratic Republic of Congo? I'm going to ask the band to come back up uh, to close our time in worship. And uh, would you just pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, I pray that... Your word would stir the spirit in us. God, that the living water would be alive and active with abundant joy and an abundant power. Father, we ask for every single person to stop by that sponsorship table and just take a look at a child, to pray for a child, and God, hopefully, ultimately sponsor a child, just like all these ECC churches are doing around the world. 
So, Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word and the ways that we get to see who you are. God, we pray for your power and glory and might to carry us through this week. We love you so much. We pray for these children. Amen. Thanks for having me.